Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. Wednesday, Ooh, that had, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, is he doing TV announcer? Yeah, <laughs> I did TV announcer. So it's come to this. That's good. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. We're here to talk about movies, and tonight we're going to talk about a TV movie. We're a big TV movie duo. Oh, I yeah. love TV movies. Big fan, especially the old ones. Yeah, and this one uh, is even more important because it's a John Carpenter TV movie. Yeah. This is how cool is that? Immediately after Halloween, John Carpenter. Like you looked it up earlier. This is like a month after Halloween came out, right? This came out on TV a month after Halloween comes out in 1978. Yeah. What a 1-2 punch, man. Yeah. The coolest slasher and then bam, one of the best actual network television TV movies. Uh we're doing Someone's Watching Me, a film that neither Charlie <laughs> nor I had seen before before recently. Well, you know what? But that's okay, because not a lot of other people had either. Uh, this was actually almost a lost movie for several really? years. Yeah, this was like the the well, TV movie that never really... <laughs> never we, got a VHS release, <laughs> oh, uh, as IMDb confusingly tells you at the trivia. <laughs> but yeah, it was not... A, it, was, it, was, it aired on TV once and kind of went away as these things did. TV movies are one of the big... Uh, blind spots in our recent cool niche Blu-ray release totally. uh, world. Now that uh, you know physical media has been diminishing and diminishing and diminishing everywhere but my house, exactly. which is just getting stacked fuller and fuller and fuller with physical media. Eric's taking up all the physical media that everyone else is <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all bringing it here. Up. You have a room dedicated solely to laser discs. That's, that's true. It's growing like like the blob just spreading over one room. I want my physical media to have the threat of rot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Associated that, with it. That smell of something that's been <laughs> left outside under a tent. That's what like I when you like walk into do. a room. Mm, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> we got to air out the media. <laughs> and now that we've been getting all these deep, deep cut horror movies released on Blu-ray, by like Blue Underground and Vinegar Syndrome, mm-hmm. and we're getting the deepest of the deep TV movie direct to video horror movies. Does that from mean the these guys 80s. are just really digging through the dregs now? Like all the good shit's been taken, so now they're like, "Oh, that's the great thing." What's is that there's... Carpenter TV movie we never <laughs> heard of? I mean, we keep getting weird new things uncovered and released, and seeing fresh upgrades for the first time in ages. You mm-hmm. know, there's. There seems like there's still gold that's getting found out there. Uh, well, this is it, man. And This is a nugget right here. I had here. no idea this was not on VHS, but it makes sense. There's so many of these great network television movies that they just never thought to get the full rights to. TV movies were very popular in the 70s and even up through the early 80s before home video was right. such a big thing. Well, and again, when, when John Carpenter is making this movie, Halloween has not come out yet. He is not this known commodity he's a working filmmaker who's just graduated from you know usc or whatever a few years ago 
And yeah, they were like, look, we want to do this uh, thriller uh, TV movie. I'm assuming I'll he, do it. he booked this gig well before they found out how profitable <laughs> Halloween was going to be, I think right? So. I think so. But the cool thing about and that... And apparently no one ever told him because then they never took this name and like took... And then, you know, like somebody at the network should have gone, hey, you know that guy that aired that movie last month? He just had this <laughs> other thing come yeah. out. Imagine if Steven Spielberg did Jaws before Duel. Right. And Jaws came out like in July, and then the next month, Duel aired on ABC, and they're just like, starring Dennis uh, Weaver. Like, not even mentioning. <laughs> right. Not even brought to you by the guy that just did Jaws. You remember McCloud? Well, now he's getting chased by a semi truck. Not the guy who just made the biggest horror movie That's of what I all mean. time. Yeah. So, so no one caught on here at, at ABC or wherever. So yeah. many of these TV movies only exist on YouTube, and I swear, 80% of the time, the dialogue is one second behind the, oh, yeah. the movement. They do that on purpose. They Whoever's have putting, to. Whatever monster is putting these yeah. things up on YouTube for free for us to watch 40 years after the fact, yeah. sync it up, bro. Since we've... I watch a lot of TV, because horror and thrillers used to be some of the most popular TV movie fare. In the 70s, uh, they used to have actual, you know, shows used to be made as mini movies. Shows like Columbo Mm, would be 90 episodes, and they would air once a month. It wasn't like a weekly thing, like a procedural. NBC would have a rotating uh, TV movie lineup with, like, Columbo one week, McCloud the next week, you know, with a few Mm. different shows as 90-minute features. So, like, playing like a movie to get people... Instead of like four shows on a Wednesday, they just air that night's movie. Yeah, and every night there's like a night, a, a two hour or ninety minute, yeah, like movie. A lot of these Columbos and and cloud episodes and uh, I don't know, not heart for heart, but but stuff like that would be part of uh, like a Sunday night NBC movie. And it's like a way to get people to stay home and watch a sure. full feature length movie. That Stay was just home. a TV show, yeah. Watch a movie. And so TV movies were really big before home video. And in going back and watching a lot of them, I really like the mood. I like the specific budget. I like how, especially in the horror ones, you're getting a horror movie shot as a TV production mm-hmm. and not as a feature film. It adds a weird little bit of just something different. Well, especially this one. Almost all of it takes place inside like a L.A. high rise apartment. Yeah. So it's got just this total like good times or you know moving on up uh, Jefferson's <laughs> kind of but, no, <laughs> but it's got the TV set like living room set kind of look. It is. Well, it was a prequel to the to the Rockwell video. <laughs> Not the Rockwell files. <laughs> That's the Rockford files. Yeah, you know, this was the, the yeah. first version of Rockwell. Lauren yeah. Hutton was complaining in this movie that she always feels like someone's watching me. Yeah. And exclamation point. <laughs> this movie is a really cool vibe. Like I really love have you seen Trilogy of Terror? The Karen Black yeah, movie yeah, where yeah, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Where she plays every <laughs> heroine role in the movie and four four roles over three different stories yes uh that was a movie that played for years after i remember seeing that when i was a kid and i was not born when that movie came out so i know that that kept getting brought back and lauren hutton is kind of a like a classier karen black 
Like Lauren Hutton is not somebody who I associate with horror movies. Mm -hmm. And even though I love Once Bitten. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Who doesn't? I I genuinely love Once Bitten, the 80s vampire comedy with very Canadian Jim Carrey. (laughs) And she's the vampirist and she's so great. She has that great kind of, she's one of the best models turned actresses I think we've gotten. And, but I don't associate her with horror. When I think of her, I think of, American Gigolo or Once Bitten, right? As as the two big ones, like model turned dramatic actress, mm-hmm. but not but not necessarily. Yeah, well, she like was never like an Oscar or... nominated kind of actress. Well, yeah. but she was known just because she's she was also... a successful model. She has the great tooth gap that she pulls <laughs> off really well. Outside of one Burt Reynolds movie that I saw, that they made her take the gap out, like she has caps. Oh, weird. She just has normal teeth. Look, you can't. Nobody would believe that Burt Reynolds would be dating a gap-toothed woman. Sorry. Even a former model. Sorry. Cap those teeth, Lauren. But it's it's that cool John Carpenter thing of taking someone outside of their comfort level and just giving them a whole movie. Like giving Roddy Piper They Live. Oh, you haven't acted much before? You're a pro wrestler? How about you be in this movie that you're going to be in 90% of the scenes? Well, I wonder if this if that was his call to have Lauren Hutton or if it was the network going, hey, we got Lauren Hutton on for this month's TV movie. Like, I, I Right. I'm this, not sure how TV contracts and stuff work. Because I also like know that. that John Carpenter is just, a, he's a working class guy. And yeah. Well, this, this was, was, like this was you, clearly a job. And this, this being a month after Halloween, he was a guy setting up his next paycheck. He's just working. Yeah. Because he did uh, not get he I think he said he has resented how little he got for that first Halloween. So (laughs) (laughs) compared to how much it made, right? Didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, no, he's got to you know he's got to do these day jobs and uh, Mm -hmm. no, but I I I feel like maybe at the time because this movie truly in a lot of ways does feel like a Carpenter movie in a lot of ways does not feel like a Carpenter movie. It feels like him doing a job, but it also is like. You know, yeah, I, I just wonder how much is him calling the shots, how much is here's the budget, here's Lauren Hutton, you know, here's your cast. Yeah, really I'm I'm very much in work. the dark on how much creative control he yeah. had over all of this. It he gets really big billing, you know, with the written and directed by sure. huge letters, uh the font goes noticeably up. So they make no mistake that this is a John Carpenter joint. <laughs> but yeah, I don't actually know if uh <laughs> You know, I've been doing that so much. I've been calling everybody's movie a joint. It's so dumb. Like like only Spike Lee has done that. And then everybody, I'm like, yeah. Like, it's not offensive, but it's like kind of (laughs) seems offensive. I don't know. (laughs) Is it because I'm wearing a Kangol? (laughs) Just the way you've got your fingers interlaced, like interlocked, while you're kind of pointing at me. Yeah, yeah just something, strong, something wrong like there. Kangol energy off here every time I talk about somebody's joint. Well, I just I get the sense that the network that put this on there wasn't like we've got this hot young director John Carpenter. You gotta come see right. him. It's gonna be the best thing ever. I get the sense that this was Wednesday at eight. Yes. Watch it or don't. There's going to be a, you know. A, yeah, this was like a, a Wednesday primetime horror movie. Yeah. You know, we're, on NBC. We're going through the motions here a little bit. This was, they, they were filling out as much as there's that, it's a great movie. 
I mean, and, uh, yeah. there's a lot of really great TV horror that we've seen. Uh, we were famously talking about Crowhaven Farm Dude. on a. Uh, on Creature Features and one of our most popular episodes. As much as 2020 sucked, we were on Creature <laughs> Features. Yeah, we did Kinda great. Kind of cool. We did great. Kind of good. We made it on TV and... but because they couldn't get guests during a pandemic, people. <laughs> they lost again. So pretty good for us. But we were lucky enough to get a very cool movie mm-hmm. to watch with our Creature Feature friends yeah. on YouTube. Look it up. And uh, yeah, Crow Human Farm being this awesome 70s TV movie. Such a great movie. This movie, again, has a lot of that same like, oh, we're also going to deal with super real issues. We're going to say the word rape like seven times in this movie. In the 70s. (laughs) On primetime. On Wednesday nights. And uh, deal with real issues about women and victimhood and believing women and totally there's like some real 2020 shit in this movie oh big time like it's it sucks how relevant a lot of this stuff exactly i was just gonna say and very sad (laughs) from from the first minute of this movie it's really clear that this is john carpenter's hitchcock movie oh yeah we get this pounding bernard herman-esque score i forget the the guy's uh Something like Ronald Suckman. (laughs) Just a nothing composer name. I hope that's not his real name. It it was like (laughs) S-U-K-M-A-N. It's either Suckman Suckman or Suckman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not the Carpenter synth, though. That's the the thing that really throws me off with this movie, is that it's this classic Hitchcock score. No synths. It's this cool stabbing... Herman kind of score with a lot of these great swoops and yeah. a lot of dizzying falls in the score for something that's so foreign when you think of a Carpenter movie. Like you said, this is outside of the thing with the Morricone score. We've gotten a Carpenter score in mm-hmm. all the car. You know, I don't remember much about the memoirs of an invisible man score. Oh, I'm excited to <laughs> yeah. just do 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 do. But right out of the right, like from the first opening credits, when it's like, like we're getting into these deep, like psycho esque uh, orchestral swoops. Yeah, every cue is just like, yeah, they're all these like, or like an oboe, like instead of the like, it's like, well, to go through all those Carpenter movies and get that cool brand of minimalism. Especially mm-hmm. if at this point you had somehow heard Assault on Precinct 13. If you were such a film buff that you knew about Assault on Precinct 13 and had seen Halloween, you were already getting that great Carpenter sound. I even like the sounds on Dark Star. Sure. And yeah, those are yeah. way more like we're making minimalist space sounds right now. So already this guy was establishing <laughs> as a legit cool movie composer to get this big swooping orchestral TV score, like a remnant from the, you know, early sixties. It, yeah. It really feels, it, it feels of that time. Uh huh. This movie is such a, I, I love movies that are like real time capsules. Yeah. Uh, totally. Hitchcock, especially you watch vertigo and it's just like, here's what 1958 San Francisco looks like. Enjoy. <laughs> and this movie totally is like, 
Remember when everything was brown in the apartment? <laughs> the carpet is brown. The chairs are brown. The only thing not brown is the coffee table, which is glass. Watch <laughs> yeah. out. He always but- <laughs> has glass just out in the hard open. But yeah, just looking at this woman's apartment and, and L.A., the Carpenter has, maybe it's an intentional, maybe not. I got such a depressing vibe from L.A., yeah. from Carpenter's the whole si- He really made the city some, feel um, so disconnected. You he, know? he makes it feel like those monolithic type buildings that Inception has, where it's just sure. like the same building for a mile into the distance. That's what's great Stuff is like Rear that. Window was filmed on a set and had such a homey life life filled uh, set right? feel to it you know all these all these warm families leaning out of windows and clothing you know clothing lines strung up red between. spots on buildings and so yeah just like colors it colors just, yeah this is bright technicolor like filmed set and this is just these straight white gray drab <laughs> apartment buildings stacked up the doors are brown the cabinets are brown yeah everything is brown in the 70s and that's what people don't want you to remember they want you to remember the saturday night fever like disco pants bright light disco balls oh yeah that's not the 70s the 70s was terrible the home s- decor uh outfits that were blousy and drab this, there's a psychology or a, yeah psychology professor boyfriend in this movie, and the guy's wearing like the maroon velvet jacket with the plaid <laughs> white undershirt and this tie that is just a scarf wrapped into a tie. One of my absolutely favorite things about this era uh, on film, you know, it's just, yeah, so, okay. is I want to hear it, it matches up so well with like the wedding photos of my parents yes where you have all these guys that are just super hairy (laughs) like just big old mutton chops and mustaches and like tinted glasses the cop with the chest hair poofing out of his shirt even though he's got it buttoned up all the way to the top there's still like a tuft of hair coming out of his chest i I remember these pictures of my dad and his brother and his brother-in-law and his college buddy all in their blue suits with like wide lapels and all of them have like super curly big hair and yes. mustaches and all the women got like these feathered cuts with dumpy green <laughs> dresses and it's like in this movie it's got that great look of all the women got like big and it's either like split ends hair or it's just insanely helmeted like yes. Adrian Barbeau's got a huge fluffed out mullet helmet in this movie and you get great this is a this is a rallying point of mine that I genuinely miss from this era of 70s TV and movies is just the various levels of super hairy but also balding men. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. I love the I fact that all these this. like several men within any TV show, any movie from this era are all going to be various stages of balding but also various stages of super long hair. <laughs> There's either going to be a comb over or a guy with barely nothing on top, so he's just growing out every strand really long and just kind of brushing it somewhere. Or It's somehow all wiry still, even yeah, though it's, man. Like, it's like Charlie Brown hair, but somehow <laughs> I just love looking at 70s balding cop's hair. And like It was so beautiful. Well, because it area. also then just has like the, the brown velour type, yeah, they got the, a brown the shirt jacket that he's wearing and brown in that, the, shirts. The, and... the, the, the cop is wearing that kind of like just got off of the, you know, out of the date 
It's like everyone's wearing like they're on a date all the time in the seventies. I'm so into it. Yeah. I love. Yeah, she meets this this boyfriend. Lauren Hutton meets this boyfriend. And he's always wearing just like a sweater with a big collar coming out of it and some like Richard Hugger pants. Reminded me a lot of uh, Corky in Magic. Oh Those yeah, outfits. a lot of cor- good call. Yeah, that, yeah. The sweater with the collar over the top and the tighter slacks and and just very... like the hair. There's too much hair and somehow it's not combed in any particular direction. Yeah, this era in particular is a gold mine for that. I I fondly look back at It's Alive. Oh yeah, as a movie where every dude in that movie is just dealing with various stages of baldness while just doing their shit, and we just don't, doing their shit. you know, we don't get that. We don't get that vibe. Everybody has super white, straightened teeth, distractingly so in some cases, and beautifully set like hair pieces or weaves. Right. Like everybody is so much more uh, aged better in kind of artificial ways. And it sucks, especially when you see something straight out of 78 and guys got big sideburns and kind of like, doesn't matter if I got like a extra 15 around my middle, I'm wearing this tight polyester shirt and i'm tucking it into these sans belt slacks or like a guy today who has that look would be like a zach galifianakis like funny character guy rather than just a guy with a beard like robin williams i feel like was the last guy that could just be hairy with a beard on camera (laughs) and like it's not a like bit you know like it always feels like it has to be like some hairy man bit now robin williams had to he just had to he got to the point where he was popular enough that he got to write his hairiness in right after hook he was like i'm never shaving again <laughs> um, not this, gonna happen this fur is just gonna be on the screen yeah sorry and i think it's uh that band we saw who was it uh was it heron oblivion with Ethan Miller, who is from Howlin' Rain and Comets on Fire. Oh, yeah, that's a hairy dude. And he's like a super hairy guy who's bald up top, but he's got that Rick Rubin, like, I'm just growing it long everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a little, a couple of long tufts on top, and then just a mane with a big old beard. Like a Steve Earle type character. Very much yeah. like modern Steve Earle. Yeah. And those, those guys are last of a dying breed. Because that's just, that's just what a detective looked like. On any on any episode of like Rockford Files or Canon, exactly. You know? And I that's such a a great aesthetic for me when watching a movie like this, and you get these great Hitchcock vibes right off. And it's so cool because when you think of the time it came out, seventy eight, this was the last Hitchcock movie was Family Plot a couple years before this, so there was an actual shot at being the next. Hitchcock. Oh yeah, you I know? think a lot. I think a lot of dudes took their shot in the seventies yeah, and eighties. So I get how. Check out the position Carpenter was in when he just made Halloween, and without even knowing how successful Halloween was going to be, he gets this shot to be the next Hitchcock. Like this is my chance for a big oh, national sure. showcase. I, 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 yeah, I imagine him making Halloween being like, well, that was fun. Maybe that'll play at the drive-in. And then him doing this going, here we go, network money. This is (laughs) my ticket. Someone's watching me is going to be the movie that launches my career because it's on network television Wednesday at 8. It's going to, you know, it's got the star Lauren Hutton in it. I don't know. I got some girl Jamie Lee Curtis in this Halloween movie. It was well, fun. It was. It seemed you know we had a good time. We at had this a- point, Lauren Hutton had played. I mentioned Burt Reynolds later. She was in uh, Gator. 
Oh yeah, uh, a year or two before this one, and so you know Sally Field's career as a as a woman, you know, <laughs> uh, a woman right. in her twenties playing opposite Burt Reynolds had been had gone to very big places. She did and okay. This very much could have been Lauren Hutton as a beautiful woman who had been seen. Uh, That's what I mean. Like by I a just, lot of people in Gator, and uh, I love the idea of everyone on set of someone's watching me. Just being like, this is it, man. This is going to like propel <laughs> yeah. all of our careers. What else are you doing, John? Well, I kind of made the slasher movie with you know, a guy in a mask. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Okay. Anyways. You yeah. Know, then yeah, we, we used are. a Shatner mask. Uh, we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, just, we just Low budget affair, mask. you know? Oh, man. That sounds like crap. <laughs> <laughs> but these kind of movies, uh, for something that's over 40 years old, really do unsettle me to my core. Because oh, yeah. just like the best Hitchcock movies, it really shows how powerless you can be in a certain situation, either by bad luck or by targeted harassment. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to ruin your day, there are a lot of ways that you can skirt legalities and wreck somebody's day in life. And you're talking about relevancy in 2020. How much easier is it now to anonymously harass anybody? You and I, at any minute right now, can go and anonymously harass almost any celebrity we want to. I've been doing it constantly on Twitter while <laughs> yeah. we've been talking. So I'm saying, Twitter, <laughs> you, we have access to literally pi- contact anybody, and there's a chance any celebrity will see you being like, I think you fucking suck. Yeah. Like, that's it. We have that access well, right now. Imagine you're not a celebrity. You're just a normal person living a life in an apartment, and you start getting that unwanted attention. Yeah. Just anybody getting giving you unwanted attention is and, such a thing that we're still in the middle of. And in 78, I mean, the, the thing that really strikes me watching this now is the idea of answering a ringing phone. The never, idea of not taking a freaking phone off the hook for... Yeah. For months? But you needed that phone, though. I'm, yeah. I, she had a job. She needed to know if calls were coming in. She doesn't have a cell phone to text things. The, the idea of her going to her mailbox and opening her mail as she's walking away from the mailbox. Like, do you need to know the mail that second? <laughs> but that's what that's what we do now with email and, and right. texting. and So just to see like this kind of analog version of, yeah, you could totally remake this movie today. Yeah. And it would be a little different, but essentially the same movie. Yeah. Well, there's this it, thing. It's your privacy being invaded. <laughs> it's it's someone's watching me. It's being this victim for no reason. Such a Hitchcock thing, too. Just the this, every man. The, there's their Hitchcock element. And then Lauren Hutton brings this. What a tough role. You know, for, for an actress, like I said, you know, who's a successful model turned actress. Uh who never really got big acclaim as a great actress. Mm-hmm. You know, she was popular and regarded as very She never had her obviously. Sally Field, you like me moment. But yeah, she's never getting nominated and winning Oscars yeah. like Sally Field. Uh, you know, she was a known commodity for a long time and had a good career. But this is a movie where not only is she in the entire movie, she's a person that, like, talks to herself regularly. Yeah. And so she is having to put us inside her fears and build this character without tons of people to build it off of. We are getting a sense of her personality just seeing how she talks to herself in her car mm-hmm. and in her new apartment. And it's very strange, yeah, because we need dialogue for this movie to keep going, but it is 
a lot about a woman just living alone. Mm-hmm. And she actually has to go pick up this psychology boyfriend at the bar randomly just so we have someone to fucking talk to <laughs> in this yeah. movie. Well, we the movie opens with this unknown uh, phone stalker talking to some girl who already sounds like she's at her breaking point. Right, yeah, yeah. And so we don't know that that's not our lead. We don't know that that's not our actress. The movie kind of feels like it dumps us right at where violence is almost culminating. Mm-hmm. And I love when a movie dumps us right in there. It's not like Lauren Hutton's the first victim starting to get slow cold calls. We jump into this guy's already pushing a woman to the breaking point. Right. We know that our, our villain is a seasoned professional. Yeah, he's a, he's a phone abuser. Yeah. And I just kept, you know, this is a movie like a, a fusion abuser. of like when a stranger calls back, which is another TV movie we constantly hide. Yes. Uh, that was a cable TV movie. This was like network TV, but that's still that same targeted harassment made well, 15 years later that's, than this that's movie. That's the gold era. You know, if this is bronze, this you know, that's <laughs> gold. Yeah. Right. And we get this great line from the villain right away. We get this really chilling one-way discussion of this vicious guy, you know, terrorizing a woman over the phone. Mm-hmm. And the woman is saying how she's going to move and how she'll never have to deal with this guy again. And he can just, you know, go away. And this woman has been, you can tell, been pushed past by this guy for who knows how long. And he just stays so calm and says, I'll find you. I never give up. Mm. And that is so, and that's right before the the big blaring, you know, uh, Ronald Suckman <laughs> credits. <laughs> and, uh you, I love how it just establishes what, what Lauren Hutton is going to be up against. Oh, yeah. But the way she plays this movie, the, what feels such like a TV movie, is it's not super far removed from being a stage play. She mm. talks so much to herself and provides so much of the movie's narrative <laughs> just by having conversations with herself that you could see her slowly deteriorating and getting more and more desperate on a stage mm-hmm. uh, and being driven more and more crazy. You know, having these one-way conversations where you don't hear a guy, but you hear her reactions. The way so many of her friends in the movie hear the only her side of it. And that is just really tough. <laughs> that is putting so much focus on this one woman. Well, and it's not just an exasperated woman. She really starts to kind of go crazy. She starts to question kind of a little bit and that's what what her reality is and uh yeah i i carpenter we know has got a, a lovecraft influence yeah i it can't be a coincidence that this uh apartment building she is in is called arkham tower <laughs> an sure. obvious lovecraft reference yeah but her losing her grip on you know sanity really plays into and that's the killer's plot it essentially yeah. is to drive these women insane and then make make it either make them kill themselves or make it appear that they've killed themselves. And That's what's the big fear in this is, like I said, operating somebody who knows how to operate just outside the legal limits. Mm-hmm. You think of Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, just like, well, what are we gonna tell the cops? You know, this guy's not coming onto my property that we've seen, but it's clearly harassment, stuff that is just outside. Like nothing, none of this will stick in court. Right. This can all be explained away. And so the first half of this movie is just her being harassed in ways that 
are very scary and you're picturing yourself in these and god you would be rattled as rattled as she is but it's nothing that would ever hold up it's all just a guy calling and hanging up Mm -hmm. or calling and not saying anything threatening but saying something that sounds threatening or sending you a package sending you gifts and showing you that he's changed something inside your house that's that's when when a stranger calls back really started just messing with me to my core it's just the idea of a guy just slightly moving things around mm-hmm. something about that is so invasive and so offensive <laughs> you know the idea that uh, that I'd let myself into somebody's house and just move something from one surface to another just that idea of coming in you know my mom was a snooper <laughs> <laughs> growing yeah, right. up and I'd walk in and you just get that sense that something had been moved a little bit. You know, out, you know, as any mom, she's looking for whatever nefarious objects that uh, teen boys might have in their room or whatever. But you just, I remember walking in there and your, just Your playboy thinking, with, uh, what's her name on it? My <laughs> Sybil Danning playboy. Uh, you know, or just looking for anything, looking for weed, who knows, like what she was in there hoping to find. Or just cleaning up, right. But just that feeling of coming in, throwing my backpack on the bed, and something being off. That first time in your life when you're old enough to feel something not quite right. Hmm. Even if it's nothing illegal or uh, targeted. Just something, that light sensation of being violated in a in a non, you know, it's... You know what's funny? I've never had that experience. Really? <laughs> I just don't... My spidey may- sense does not kick in. It must be some p- depend on people's spatial awareness uh, yeah. or something. I don't know. I uh, yeah. I, I think you could probably rearrange my whole room. I'd be like, huh. I didn't. Yeah. Is my bed always face this window? No. <laughs> huh? Sure beats doing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 I would. I would remember just different things like being. I don't know that that kind of thing. Uh, just got on my sense. So it must be how. Depend on if people are wired. Yeah. And Lauren Hutton is wired to just, oh, this poor woman. It always feels like they're just getting tortured so badly. And for a feature-length film, there's so much that is just her slow descent into people and not believing her. And that's another thing that feels so relevant yes. now. Yeah, yeah, the people not believing her. We're living in a time now when so many different people are able to have very different realities over what I'm confident is actually happening. There's a whole large growing sect of people who are so brazenly, bullheadedly confident in what they believe and what they think is going to happen that I think over the last four or five years, I'm not alone in having moments where I have to question myself. Be like, no, I know what I heard. Mm-hmm. I know what was said. I know what was inferred by this being said. I'm not the one wrong here. I recognize what happened. Well, and specifically the idea of believing women and having yeah. to come to terms with guys that we you know, may have grown up thinking are good dudes or not. We have to are believe. Are not so much. We have yeah. to believe when people say they're not. And yeah, the... the uh, the movie really was like a big slap in the face there when the cops are just not believing her story. And she's like, I was, I'm 
I was there. I saw this and that. And that's that's such the big strength of her performance is the, you know, when she's also has to deal with not just this stress of this guy to the point that every ringing phone oh, makes yeah. her just on edge. When we go through all the steps of her getting normal calls and her starting to figure out this guy's patterns and this guy able to find her wherever, just the sound of a ringing phone will just be... Imagine if somebody was just sending you, you know, targeted harassing text messages and you blocked them and they found your phone number again or they find you on Facebook or they find you on all these things and it's not far-fetched that the sound of your phone buzzing when a new text comes in, even mm-hmm. if it's not necessarily this person. The idea that that anxiety of not knowing what just came in on your phone, like, that's still here. We're still in this. And, yeah, believing women, there's so many people who could logically not believe her in this in this movie. He keeps it to the point where an hour and 20 minutes into an hour and 35-minute movie there's things that other people could still plausibly not believe. Mm. That she could sound like a crazy woman. She works in a high-stress job. She came to this city with reasons that she really hasn't fully explained to everybody else. This could be a thing where she's shell-shocked from a past incident. We don't know what bad history she went through with another guy. It's only hinted at. Right. So the cops know this information. Her new boyfriend knows this information. Her close friend at work, Adrian Barbeau, only knows this information. Nobody knows the full story. And her reliability as a narrator starts to drop the more things happen. Even as they seem more serious, it could also be just, you know, we don't know what this woman's done before. Yeah. And that's the kind of tension that Carpenter keeps throughout, the kind of great Hitchcock tension that propelled his best movies is well we don't fully know (laughs) and lauren hutton is so good at somebody breaking down slowly while still having to remain that powerfully confident woman that knows she's not the crazy one (laughs) i will say just to note believe all women yes she ruins a man's life in this movie uh she pinpoints uh inaccurately yeah. <laughs> the the source of the harassing phone calls and and peeping is coming from uh the man who would later be uncle leo on uncle Seinfeld. leo <laughs> uncle leo and well, they make a point of interrogating she 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 says it's this guy across the way in the building they right. they interrogate him and they make a point of letting you know after that scene <laughs> look i just want you to know that we made him move from New York City to Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> from L.A. to Boise. Oh, L.A. to, yeah, L.A. to Iowa. He had to... Uh, <laughs> he lost his pension. Lost his pension and his job, and there's someone tailing him now for the next six months. <laughs> tailing him 24 hours a day for six months. That's the kind of money that the police used to have. No. Yeah, the... But, uh, but yeah, the, believe all women, but she ruined a man's life in this movie. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's what, you know, this... It's not far-fetched the reasons they gave for him. You know, that's we don't know who to believe and we don't know who to trust in this movie. And the Uncle Leo thing, you know, he had plausible reasons for being in that building. He had plausible reasons for all of his suspicious behavior. But that's the kind of explanation that somebody who's 
outsiding out just outside the legal limits mm-hmm. would operate under somebody who we've already established has done this stuff before and yeah uh i forget that actor's name but the guy who was also the cop in halloween yes is the cop in this movie charles cyphers maybe charles cypher yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh playing kind of the same role without uh, without the body count so he has to be the guy that, like look I wish I could help you out on this, but you've given me so far a guy sending you presents mm-hmm. who's not threatened you, who just keeps calling a lot, you know? And it's even as he's recognizing that's like, yeah, I get this sucks. <laughs> he knows he has to operate within a certain limit. And so that scene where after she ruins this man's life, who <laughs> by all means seems like definitely the guy harassing her. Yes. All signs point Classic to him being the harasser. Hitchcock red herring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once she gets another letter and another phone call and she deals and she goes back to this cop who already didn't believe her, got rid of the guy at the first little bit of evidence she had. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, well, it's still happening. And that's when he gets like, lady, I know where this guy is. <laughs> He's in Boise right now. Right. He doesn't have a pension. Like, he made sure to lay out all the different ways that they took the guy who they were told to take mm-hmm. and got rid of him. And, you know, believe women, listen to women, <laughs> but it's not like this cop is actually being an awful person. This no. isn't quite like we recently, you know, talked about, like, Black Christmas where they're like, but you don't know for sure your roommate's dead. Right. And uh, while well, he's making a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. This is definitely, this is not actually a cop being just like, ugh, here's another woman. Like, this guy has covered his tracks well enough. He's not just targeting, it's like, you know, four different women have committed suicide in this one apartment building. Right. You know, he's jumped around for reasons that we won't spoil if you haven't seen this movie. Uh, there's. I a good explanation yeah. for for how he's covering we're his tracks. Gonna, we're not going to spoil the final. And reveal. we're living now another shot at relevancy. So much of streaming bingeable content now is just documentaries on serial killers, <laughs> murderers and going into right. the deep detail of how they found their victims like every week a couple of new six episode crime docudramas drop you know where you're dealing with all the the big one uh with pat oswalt's late wife yes that killer that she, that he was the golden state killer Golden state killer who killed dozens you know assaulted dozens of women and you go into the deep method of it you know we're getting in a lot of these profiler docudramas mm-hmm. and so a thing like this where a guy's setting up victims all over town and he's taking his time on all of them this is a guy who's just found a level he likes to operate at and uh the cops aren't being jerks when they're like look we found this guy we got our man uh do you want to this is not the ending but the whole time halfway through i don't know if this is accepted as a theory but i kept expecting it to be this is the whole at a certain point this is where i was confident the movie was going was that Adrian Barbeau was going to be oh, the killer. Yeah. I could, well. Especially once they started hitting that, like, you know, we didn't find a body. Mm-hmm. She yeah. used this plane ticket. Her scene was very strange. Yeah. 
because she appears to get murdered in a in a rear window type scenario. And then yeah, nothing ever comes of that. And two That's different just a total times, loose thread. Two different times they make it very clear that she is a lesbian. Yeah, they really let you know that so you, up front. So you think of somebody who's been targeting women. Like, mm, you start mm-hmm. thinking that this movie could be the one that's like, oh, they have a woman targeting other women. And here's the thing. When I kept thinking of, like, no, it has to be a guy. We've There's been too many other. I kept thinking the reason it was going to be Adrian Barbeau was because she has a husky enough voice <laughs> that they could have passed it off as, like, oh, turns out a husky woman was just calling and threatening all these women. Lauren Hutton is supposed to be 29 in this yeah. TV movie and she it's like kids don't smoke well, she, because well, she sounds like Kathleen Turner today yeah, in this no. <laughs> in this movie part of the, she's got a she's got a husky of voice Kathleen Turner Lord Hutton was there and Adrian Barbodo point was the husky smoky voice you know well it's very smoky it is very smoky she's um, probably in her mid 30s in this one but she's playing approaching 30. I could have easily seen that Adrian Barbeau yeah switch up at the end uh, or, or like her in cahoots with someone kind of a thing. Yeah, but, but it felt too much like they were built. And I kind of was getting into the idea of Adrian Barbo. So then when it turns out to just be another different bald guy. Right. Like, oh, this guy? Another bald. Well, this I guy? thought it was going to be the real estate guy from the, the beginning. <laughs> from the very beginning. The, the the guy who shows her the apartment in the beginning and who's like, he's a little off. We've been on he a little run a little where we see the killer of a movie. Just from movies that you and I have happened upon lately. Uh, where the killer's just the first guy you see. <laughs> yeah. The first guy who's like, why is that guy acting so weird? And then 90 minutes later, you're like, right. Right, that was him. That guy was always a weirdo. Well, and because this movie is, uh, mm, this isn't like a slam or anything, but this movie is very by the numbers. This is a guy yeah. who went to film school and uh, got you know his course in how you do a plot like this, and mm-hmm. he hits all the numbers. So yeah, I was expecting to see someone from the beginning well, come that's back the, like the that. Well, that's the great thing. With it, he steps back from, uh, you know, a lot of these old TV movies really do read like, as I mentioned, stage yeah. plays, especially ones like this, like Karen Black trapped in her apartment. Like, all right, we got one set. We can film it exactly like we film an episode of Three's Company. Right. Knock this out. It's the ways that <laughs> there's funny little moments where my brain notices, oh, they're filming it that way because they're filming it like a TV movie. Like when she opens up the first gif facing away from her. Mm. Like she's facing it like like she's in the front of a... There's no fourth wall. It's just filmed like it's on a TV live set. So she's opening a huge chest like where she right. has to reach all the she way over, over it to over open the top. it. To, yeah. yeah. And so I keep noticing things like that. It's like, oh, right. They're like playing this like it's a stage play. But then some of the coolest, scariest moments uh, on a one-woman stage play wouldn't necessarily be there. Like the man running behind her in the background. Oh, yeah. That Such one a what a shot of this guy just sprinting scare. by in the background, a jump scare of just a guy, and you know a lot of doors. Just a figure, it's like it could be guy or Adrian Barbeau. Gal. Could be. You I kept ex- kept expecting Barbeau at the end, but there's so many of those touches that Carpenter brings to it beyond mm-hmm. you know it being clearly filmed in a same pattern. You know that this isn't like his other movies where he works with. The makeup person he likes got Deborah Hill on set for as a supervisor. Right, this you is don't see him. Deborah Hill. You don't see Mustafa's name on here. Yeah, this yeah. is him working with a set NBC studio production. The next director that comes along, they're working with the same crew. Exactly. And so there's certain things I mean. that are just going to be the same. Lauren Hutton was going to be in a movie this week. This yes. happened to be the one. This That's kind of you know. 
Totally. But you get a guy in those restrictions, in those confines, able to do this great work. Maybe yeah. that, I mean, that even is a testament to, you know, the ability there. It's like, all right, well, we'll give you this eight by 12 sheet of paper, make a book out of it. Right. And he's able to do that. You know, when I just in, you know, my late teens, when I started really learning about film history and stuff and you learn what a big deal duel was in being the vehicle that gave Spielberg a shot at something bigger. Mm hmm. And we talked about now how this came just a month after Halloween. Like, I wonder how much more important this movie would be had it come out a year before. Had this been 77. Right. And then how that would affect the hype for Halloween. Because this movie never really got, for various reasons, it's been buried much more than Duel has been buried. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like, it's a, an acclaimed director's early work. It's quite good. Yes, like, yeah, the fact that it's a good movie should be the more impetus that this right. should be a more well-known TV thing. Like, it's like Dark Star is garbage. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I kid, I kid. Like I no, said, but this is like a really like top-notch, top-quality type movie here. Very much. These aren't people scrambling around to try to figure out what they're doing. This is someone who knows what they're doing. Way movies, right off way the bat. lower quality than this from the exact same era we're playing in theaters yeah <laughs> this yeah. is this is a movie that very easily could have been a successful theatrical horror movie but for just due to the circumstances was used as a tv movie but it doesn't have that i mean you and i are two <laughs> john carpenter is, yeah. Yeah. i mean john carpenter is one of our top three favorite directors i, for I both celebrate the guy's entire catalog exactly Yet we neither of us had seen this movie until this past month. Yeah. This well, is now we did. Now we did, but for a guy who I've seen, this is probably the last Carpenter movie that I've seen. No, I haven't seen his 2010. I haven't seen The Ward. Uh-huh. I've not seen that. <laughs> I think that's it. Pretty sure I've seen every other Carpenter. No, I haven't uh, seen Body Bags. That's well, a, that's a havesy. I haven't seen the one where Kurt Russell's Elvis. That's another TV movie. Oh, sure. We'll have to do the three-hour Elvis and... uh, biopic. I don't know if I could say if I've ever seen the uh, Chevy Chase, John seen Carpenter Mem collaboration. I don't think I ever have. You haven't seen Memoirs of Invisible Man three times the way some of us have? <laughs> he's, po mm. he's pointing at himself. Yeah. So we've seen most of John. We've seen Dark Star several times, and you just called Dark Star a piece of garbage. I was totally <laughs> That was a total joke. And so for both but of us But Dark Star is a clearly like low-budget, like college type looking movie this is this looks like this could have been a guy working for this network for 20 years yeah made this movie oh is what i mean it's so cool that he suited well elvis was a really acclaimed movie that got like a bunch of emmy nominations oh cool and i think he did that before this one i don't remember i'm not i don't know. It up. There's uh, no way to know there's just no way to but know. so that's the thing we're talking about how like why doesn't this movie remember where we just saw it and we've seen well, yeah. 20 other Carpenter movies so many times. So part of it was the lack of availability. Uh, I'm going to blame the hipsters. Copies. I'm going to, like, hipsters should have grabbed onto this movie like <laughs> they did with Duel much earlier. Yeah, so that were we the could film hipsters for this one? Yeah, so that but we could watch it. But it is odd that for, you know, genre film addicts are people that really, you know, there's nothing left to uncover. I still feel there's next to no discourse, no talk about this movie. Hmm. You know, and it's just such a impressive, powerful 
woman performance from Lauren Hutton, a woman who, again, didn't really do horror movies. Not a ton of other horror movies, a lot of, you know, a lot of TV movies and other work, but not horror. So for her to have to carry 98% of this movie is so good. Yeah. Now, big question that I have. <laughs> so on our, was it the Big Trouble in Little China episode where we did our Carpenter top I, 10? I think, I think it was, yeah. Or, yeah, we did our top 10 Carpenter movies. Does this one change that around? Since we acknowledged when we did that top 10 that we hadn't seen this one, so we couldn't say whether it belonged in the top 10. Does this get added? Because I really liked it. You know what? <gasps> For the ratings on this show, I will say. No. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I think, uh, I think right now, to uh, you know, Jan 1, 2021, this one's going to knock Assault on Precinct 13. <gasps> this makes it into your 10. ten spot. That was your number 10, right? That was my number we 10. We both had Assault at number 10. I, I, I uh, love that movie, but having watched this one again wow. recently just now, uh, man, this movie is... It got got under your skin? Well, it, it gets under your skin. It's genuinely scary. It's got great jump scares. It's It keeps you, uh, you know, it keeps your attention even though... Uh, not a lot is going on very right. often or the same thing kind of keeps happening over and over again. And uh, yeah, if this had that Carpenter score, this mm. could, I could see this getting that way probably... up in that 10, but yeah, as it is now, it's a total outlier. Sure. It's, a, it's just this total like Carpenter has nothing to do with any other movie he's ever done. Yeah, and and really the music is really what I, I keep <laughs> the, harping back with that. But the music is good though. It just doesn't good, feel like Carpenter, but it's music, not his, obviously. And uh, the the idea of this being kind of this, yeah, him in another system, kind of making this movie <laughs> right. with this you know network system rather than his studio or or his. Yeah, I'd know, love to know how much process. control over what project he got to choose. Right. If he was like, I'd like to do a horror movie, but I like these network paychecks. I bet so. he. Yeah, exactly. It's just like. If Halloween doesn't hit big, he probably just goes on and makes. Maybe he just goes on and makes TV movies, we, or we, starts directing, you know, the '80s Twilight Zone series or mm-hmm. something like There's that. There's tons of directors or even actors that you know. Uh, it's very common to just segue into directing, and their career goes from like you see on their IMDb, they got two to three actual movies they did at the very start of their career, and then the last thirty years of career have been like. Well, I did two Walking Deads, right? And I did a CSI Miami. I did a bunch of shit you never heard of. Yeah, but, but I've worked. But it's just thirty-year career, like, uh, you know, David Lynch's daughter, Jennifer Lynch. Mm. She did that one movie with Julian Sands, boxing, Helena. Oh. oh yeah. Oh wow. And for the next, the rest of that was it. And now she's just done tons of TV directing ever since then. Well, one of our you favorite know? directors, Dwight Little. Dwight H. Little, yeah, no, like podcast legend Dwight Little. I thought I was gonna break you with that. I thought I thought I was gonna get you, but you rolled with it. I'm pretty serious about DWL. You're a little head. All right. Anyway, no, that, that dude is that guy directed a Joe Don Baker movie and, and Halloween Four, and now he's just spent the last forty years doing prestige television. You know. Uh, Tim Matheson, a guy that was in, you know, Fletch and Animal House and stuff. Like, now nope, that guy's just directing episodes of Veronica Mars and, like, getting tons of work oh. for the next 30, 40 years. Having He's a just blast, a director right? for hire. John Carpenter very easily could have just been 
a guy who shows up during a Law and Order as a as a name that your your brain doesn't even register you've seen as a directed by. He would have been a great X Files guy in the oh, 90s. Oh, totally. Yeah. Pop in for a 95 episode of X Files. We're not that far away from that happening. These were two movies that were a month apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think this would break my top 10. I got kind of an assault on Freezing 13 is my number 10. And then the vying for 11 spot is like Starman, Vampires, and probably this one, honestly. Okay. Uh, it's not far from my top 10. It's right there, though. But it's there. And it's kind of more of a testament to John Carpenter that a movie this good could be like, ah, I don't think I can put it in, in my top 10 Carpenter movies. Right. You know That there's even a debate over whether it's the top 10 when it was really good. It's just like, oh, man, this guy's, this guy's, this is why he's one of my absolute favorites. Like, oof. 100%. I don't know if this movie's online. I had it on Blu-ray. It was not anywhere for a long, long time. But do what you can to go and see someone's watching me. Especially, it looks like you can maybe rent it for like three bucks on Amazon. There you go. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. You get a young Adrian Barbeau. You get young John Carpenter doing his thing. If you're a Carpenter completist like we are. Yes. And this podcast will become a Carpenter complete. I mean, we're uh, we're getting there. Overview. We've made a a concentrated effort, especially over the last several months. To fit, <laughs> this is this is Carpenter's really taking over some of our content here. I'm not uh, gonna argue, and I'm a okay with that. <laughs> I'm just excited for which amazing Carpenter movie we're not gonna be talking about in place of Memoirs of an Invisible Man. That's mm. a countdown I've been waiting and looking forward to, because I know that's not gonna be the last Carpenter movie. I want to know which gems we're actually pushing aside. Oh, I see. Right. To like, get we'll, to, we'll get to memoirs before we hit body I, bags I, or I, something. I think it's pretty a good odds that we'll be getting that before we do the original Halloween. Hey, you never or know, man. Even the thing. Like, well, we're talking about this Chevy Chase uh, <laughs> studio picture that Carpenter had no actual creative involvement with. But this guy is just a legend. He's so invisible. This guy. <laughs> Carpenter is incredible. Oh, I this love guy him. is the best. And there's nothing he can't do. I'd never thought of him making such an overt Hitchcock movie. I go to Brian De Palma for my fake Hitchcock movies. Exactly. But damn, did Carpenter do that. Imagine if he had an R rating and could throw in more traditional Carpenter elements. Imagine what more this movie could have had. Carpenter score. Carpenter violence. Like This is a great movie that was made great within restrictions by a great man. So go out of your way to see it. There you go. Came to this. It did come to this. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. The Carpenter cast has concluded. Thank you guys so much for listening. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>